You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.bogosity.tv. Your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.bogosity.tv now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of February 4th, 2018. The podcast that shines white light and wants to show how everything still turns to gold. This is your host, Shane Killian, and returning this week is Jim Goble. Welcome back, Jim. Howdy ho there, friends and neighbors. Let's decromulate the news of the bogus. And we've discussed uh, Edward Snowden a lot of times, and we keep covering this claim of, oh, well, he should have just gone through proper channels. And we've talked about how the thing is the proper channels are generally just a way to punish whistleblowers and shut them up. Well, that official channel used to be a guy named Dan Meyer for the intelligence community. He blew the whistle on this, pointing out all sorts of wrongdoing by IC officials. Now he's been forced out of office so that the IC can rebrand whistleblowers as insider threats. And Meyer is now going before the Star Chamber for a disciplinary review. According to Meyer, quote, Earlier this year, I blew the whistle myself. First to my agency head, the Inspector General and his legal counsel, and then to Congress, and then to another Inspector General of the intelligence community. The wrongdoing I reported was the systemic failure of the Inspectors General of the Intelligence Community to execute the directive establishing the ground rules for IC whistleblowing and source protection. Other patriotic IC whistleblowers preceded me in disclosing this wrongdoing. Meanwhile, the very officials he blew the whistle on are jockeying for the top spot, including Christopher Sharpley, who has several retaliation complaints against him, including at least two former CIA Office of Inspector General employees. So, basically, he's been accused of abusing his position? Yeah, and then they want to put him, well, he's one of the ones they're considering to be in charge of whistleblower protections. Along with Christy Waschel, another possibility, whose former employees argue that she has been neutering the agency and blocking and editing internal reports. And another possible replacement is George Allard, who was placed on administrative leave after he was found to have retaliated against a whistleblower only to get his job back in the new administration. In the Cheeto administration. <laughs> yeah. This is the fox in charge of the hen house thing uh, going on here, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this sounds to me more like refilling the swamp instead of draining it. Yeah, uh, the thing is, the Wetlands uh, Protection Act, yeah, the uh, the swamp needs protecting. Yeah, and I think they're basically putting Swamp Thing in charge of it. <laughs> I, I, I would disagree with that because Swamp Thing is likable. <laughs> Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? 
If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins, and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary-aged children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I, Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 apiece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. So, Jim, you have a story for us about Atari founder Nolan Bushnell? Oh, do I ever. Yeah, um, well, apparently, uh, there's an annual Game Developers Conference. Let me just read the article from The Verge here. The annual Game Developers Conference is one of the most prestigious events in gaming. Today, and this was, uh, what was the date of this article? January 30th. Organizers announced that the 18th annual Game Developers Choice Awards, three men will be given the event's top honors. And Atari founder Nolan Bushnell will receive the Pioneer Award. Very well deserved. Nolan Bushnell helped guide Atari to becoming a dominating force in the video game world for more reasons than one. But the decision to highlight Bushnell in the wake of movements like Me Too and Time's Up has sparked backlash online with industry professionals pointing out numerous reports of inappropriate sexual comments and behavior by Bushnell, particularly in the early days of Atari. In a Playboy profile from 2012, Bushnell whistly recalls the wild environment of the 70s Atari era. It was post-flower revolution, women's liberation, no age yet, and lots of company romances. It also describes how the engineers at Atari codenamed their projects after attractive female employees. Darlene, the codename for the home version of Pong, was inspired by a woman who Bushnell described to Playboy as stacked. The Atari VCS or 2600 was codenamed Stella. The Atari 5200 was codenamed Pam. Rumor has it that they were both named after well-endowed females at Atari. Though some people say that the 5200 was called Pam for personal arcade machine. Do with that information as you will. Well, but this is the thing about things like that with SJWs. Anytime you comment on a woman's physicality, whatever it is, if you like make a positive comment about it, you're objectifying her. If you're kind of downplaying something, then you're body shaming. Well, it recalls to me a meme I saw over the last couple of years on Facebook. You know, that has a picture of Barbie, and it says, uh, Stop objectifying women. And the next picture is a picture of He-Man. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. That's one of the greatest takedowns I've seen of that sort of thing. But to continue with this article, uh, Stephen L. Kent's 2001 book, The Ultimate History of Video Games, describes how much Bushnell liked to have fun at work, sometimes a very sexually aggressive form of fun, and made sure that men around him agreed with his philosophy. They held meetings in hot tubs, drank heavily, experimented with drugs. Sometimes Atari board meetings seemed more like fraternity parties than business meetings. Okay, I really didn't follow Gamergate too much. I only know briefly about it, but I do know a couple of the players in it. And guess who is the one that made the big stink about this? Well, you've basically got three main contenders there, so if it's not Anita Sarkeesian and it's not Zoe Quinn, then it must be... Brianna Wu. Yep. 
<laughs> okay. And she tweeted, GDC is choosing to honor Atari founder Nolan Bushnell this year, something I find wildly inappropriate with the Me Too movement. Here are some facts about the sexual harassment Mr. Bushnell committed at Atari in the 80s. And we will get to some of these quote-unquote facts in a little bit, but continuing with her second tweet, Atari held board meetings in a hot tub. There, the board would invite women employees they wanted to have sexual... They wanted to have sexual with... What? They wanted to have sexual with up to the suite. You set us up at the bomb. And pressure <laughs> them to strip naked with the men. This is by Mr. Bushnell's own admission in the book, Ultimate History of Video Game. Oh, yeah. And she's running for the U.S. House of Representatives in Massachusetts. What a coincidence. Oh, what a kinky-dink. Um... Then she uh, she continued in a longer thread. She said, Bushnell is an important figure, but this isn't the year to honor him, she concluded. Okay, I hate that. When is the year? When is the year to honor him? Next year, they'll have a fine reason. Year after that, they'll find a reason. They always find reasons. Oh, yeah. I do an arcade video game podcast. Plug, Pie Factory Podcast. We're actually, next episode, we're going to be talking about the games Moonwalker and Trivial Pursuit. So, it's well known that Atari was... Kind of in the free love era of the 70s, which, um, I mean, there was a lot of drugs, there was a lot of sex, a lot of alcohol. It was the 70s. And um, Atari at the time was like that. They uh, Well, and it was very unusual because most of the corporations then were still kind of a conservative stuff shirt type of suits. But, I mean, this was, this was more like, you know, a, a company made by the people, you know, doing what the common folk did. Right. So... UMB, don't give the Pioneer Award to anyone this year, tweeted designer Elizabeth Sempat. Or rather, award it symbolically to all of the women who built this industry and are no longer here, in large part due to men like this. Wow. And basically, <laughs> Yeah, like, no responsibility for their own situation. It's always a man's fault. Well... There's more to this. I'm still, I'm just going to skim over the rest of this article here. Yeah, because I think we've got a bunch of quotes from women who are actually there to get through. So. Oh, yeah. And of course, on January 31st, the organizers decided to drop the award altogether this year. And um, their announcement says, The Game Developers' Choice Awards Advisory Committee, committee, committee the group of people who vote on the special award winners for each show, have made the decision not to give out a Pioneer Award for this year's event, following additional feedback from the community. They believe their pick should reflect the values of today's game industry and will dedicate this year's award to honor the pioneering and unheard voices of the past. After a while, Nolan Bushnell did respond, and he really played this well, I thought. He said that, I applaud the GDC for ensuring that their institution reflects what is right, specifically with regards to how people should be treated in the workplace. If that means an award is the price I have to pay personally so the whole industry may be more aware and sensitive to these issues, I applaud that too. If my personal actions or the actions of anyone who ever worked with me offended or caused pain to anyone at our companies, then I apologize without reservation. See, that's what he did wrong there, because SJWs just see an apology as an admission of wrongdoing and then crank everything up to 11. That is true, but um, he did say if, so i got to give him credit for that. But this is really the only thing he could have said. You're, I mean, you're right. If he wouldn't have said nothing, they would have criticized him if he... And, He's basically in a no-win situation, but this was the best path in the no-win situation, as far as I'm concerned. So, now, I'm uh, I'm friends with a couple of guys, um, Marty Goldberg and uh, Kurt Vendel. They wrote a book, Atari, Business is Fun. And uh, on uh, one of their Facebook pages, somebody posted an actual uh, goals sheet for Atari in the pre-Warner Brothers era. Now, let me read this to you. Atari, goals, fairness... 
Fairness is the best single word, which means play the game by the rules. We play hard, play to win, but we will play by the rules of local, state, federal, and international law, Well, as well as the standards of ethical business practices and fair labor relations. An unethical corporation has no right to existence in any social framework. Besides, winning by cheating is, at best, a hollow victory. I should probably mention here that Nolan Bushnell lists Atlas Shrugged as one of his favorite books, and he's a huge fan of Ayn Rand. So, Well, you see, that makes him doubly evil. Oh, of course. Now, the second section here in the Atari Goals uh, document is people. A corporation is simply people banding together in an organized fashion to produce products or accomplishments which would not be possible otherwise. When the goals of Atari and the goals of its people are in harmony, Atari is strong and its people are happy and satisfied. Therefore, Atari will A. Provide maximum remuneration and benefits to its people based on their contribution to its profits and goals. B. Provide a work atmosphere in which a person can maintain his dignity and identity. C. Maintain a social atmosphere where we can be friends and comrades apart from the organizational hierarchy. D. Encourage and promote personal growth through education and training such as that we all may reach our individual potentialities. I think that's the first time I've ever seen that word. E. Judge all people on the basis of their skills and contribution and not tolerate discrimination on the basis of race, color, creed, national origin, sex, appearance, or personal life. At Atari, discrimination of the whites against blacks or blacks against whites, of the short hairs against the long hairs or the long hairs against the short hairs, the trained against the untrained, the experienced against the unexperienced will not be tolerated. Sounds good. And the last one here, bring together people who enjoy what they do and are willing to strive to build a strong and innovative corporation in which we can all take pride and satisfaction and know that our part is well done. Our corporation will only be as strong as the sum of its parts. Uh, I mean, that's the that's the first half. The, the last half of this goals thing talks about profits, products, growth, and citizenship. So uh, um, pretty much sounds pretty good there uh, to me. And uh, I really like that part about the about discrimination where they don't... T- won't tolerate discrimination or anything like that but but they didn't mention any of the seven billion genders so oh no well this was this is long before then now i'm on a couple of forums uh atari museum that that's the one run by uh, kurt vendel i mentioned a moment ago some other pages on facebook where i have access to people that worked uh back at atari back then and um marty goldberg and uh, Kurt Vendel did a lot of interviews for this book with people from Atari around that era. Uh, here's what he is saying about this. A uh, positive thing to come out of this, I was contacted by a female reporter from Kotaku to clarify a few historical facts for her article, which I understand the article should be out Monday or Tuesday. And I reiterated briefly that in all the interviews we did, we never heard anything about people forced to go into hot tubs or raped, etc. I did say there was plenty of other historical non-sexual stuff to question about Nolan anyways. For people in video games, it's common knowledge that Nolan didn't invent Pong. He actually ripped it off. at a, He saw it at a trade show, and he ripped it off and created Pong. Well, that just puts him up there with, you know, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and everyone. Now, that's what they do. They rip things off. Yeah, they do. I'm not condoning it, but, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. Should we take away all of their accomplishments? Uh, yeah, Martin Luther King cheated on his wife. Cheated on his wife. Uh, anyway, everybody's got stuff in their past. That's one reason why I don't run for office. Because <laughs> my stuff is in my very recent past. So, anyway, Marty continues. I also mentioned, much to her surprise, about how there were a lot of women that were employed at Atari in the 70s and 80s that were not the stereotypical secretaries every woman that's worked there is supposed to have been, such as Carol, Carol's team, that's Carol Shaw, who at Pioneer Games user research for people that are familiar with the Atari 2600, 
More than likely, one of your most favorite games for the console was programmed by Carol Shaw, and that is River Raid. Uh, Pioneer Games user. The women that worked in manufacturing in other areas. The first computer graphics department, etc. So she's going to be moving forward with an article on that, and I'm putting her in touch with the relevant people to interview. Elaine Shirley, an Atarian of that era, told Replay, Those were the times. He, Nolan Bushnell, hit on women and they hit on him. If the Me Too movement was active when Atari was alive, I think half our company would be charged. To my knowledge, no one ever did anything they did not want to do. In truth, Shirley continued, I think there were at least the same or more aggressive women at the company. I'm not condoning any inappropriate violations related to the Me Too movement, but I think the movement needs to relate to the era in which the violation occurred. 100% freaking correct. It was a different era. You cannot put today's values on then. I mean, obviously there are some things I think you can, but she says, however, there are some lines that can never be crossed, especially with children or sexual assaults, no matter what era it was. Agreed, again, agreed, 100%. She continued that there was a time when two salesmen in the industry complimented her at a trade show, saying she had the best legs in the industry. That would not be acceptable now, but it didn't bother me, she said. They should give Nolan the award, she concluded. Now, I got two things here from uh, Lonnie Reader. This stuff was published in public forums on Facebook, so that's the only reason why I'm telling you who who did them and reading them. I'm not reading anything that was in a closed forum. Lonnie Reader. I was at Atari during those years. I know Nolan. I know the engineers. I worked side-by-side with Nolan co-founding U-Wink in the 90s, which was kind of a like a restaurant where you ordered stuff on computers, which is really kind of commonplace today. I even worked in the department that designed and built the aforementioned hot tub in the engineering building. I could probably speak to this topic perhaps better than anyone else weighing in at the moment. When people say, it was the 70s, it's a very true statement. Coming off of a decade of the 60s and a rally cry for free love, etc., the 60s social culture meshed perfectly with the 70s and groundbreaking technology. Atari was very much, and still is, a family. It was a great place to work, and many of us remain in touch even after all of these years. Some employees, I'm sure, got involved in the sex and drugs culture, but to my knowledge, no one was ever harassed or compelled or demeaned into an inappropriate acts. I have heard about only one questionable sexual situation, and it did not involve Nolan. Everything else I ever heard about or knew about during that time, and even hearing about years later, was always of a consensual nature. So it seems presumptuous to me that a person who was not even born or who never worked there think they know more about what took place at the company than those of us who are actually part of the history. Well, and that when she also says there are genuine harassers out there, men who use sex as their power and hold it over women for opportunities, promotions, etc. This definitely was not the case at Atari. Yep. Lonnie goes on in another post. So let's take a step back and look at the overall situation. It started with a 38-year-old disgruntled uber-feminist woman game designer from Massachusetts running for Congress who had a less-than-stellar experience in the predominantly male-dominated video game space, resulting in what came to be known as Gamergate. Oh, one other thing. I've looked at uh, Lonnie's Facebook page. She's a feminist, so just keep that in mind. Using the Me Too movement and a moment in time for which she had no first-hand knowledge. And with zero complaints lodged against Nolan or complaints about the work culture by employees working at Atari during that time, based on archival newspaper and magazine interviews, and with Nolan and others chatting about a work environment, time and culture that existed 40 years ago, a work environment everyone, men and women, happily worked in together and partied in together, together's all in all caps, or didn't party in, there was no pressure and no judgment, an environment that has resulted in decades-long friendships, marriages, I believe no one met his wife at Atari, uh, the one he's been married to for 40 years. Friendships, marriages, 
little Atarians, business partnerships, and frequent reunions, providing us with amazing memories, and for most of us, spending the rest of our work careers attempting to replicate the magic, again in all caps, of the Camelot that we were lucky enough to work at. By arming herself with a topical movement and being personally disgruntled and offended by an environment existing 40 years ago, which she played no part in, an environment she had zero first-hand knowledge of, based on her political aspirations, personal assumptions, and libelous accusations against a man where no complaints have been raised or filed, very important, she made a big unfounded noise against Nolan, and the pioneer honor was withdrawn. From my vantage point, and having a first-person perspective of this time in the entire environment, what has been done to Nolan is falsely mischaracterizing him for a lifestyle that did no harm or wrong to anyone. Nolan created a company environment which opened the doors to many women into a field where they were never included in before. High tech. Nolan never discriminated on any level and gave everyone a chance to prove on their own merits that they could be a part of Atari. From soldering boards to building arcade cabinets, drawing schematics and artwork to working on the assembly line. For me personally, Nolan was the final word in my being hired at Atari, my first full-time job after college. He continued his belief in me years later when we, we co-founded U-Wink in Los Angeles. She co-founded this with Nolan. Okay. In Los Angeles, where I became an equally compensated vice president. Nolan never profiled a person by their gender as to whether or not they were fit for the job. He based his decision on the person's skill, ability, and passion for the job, which... Or, I'm sorry, because of that belief, we always rose to the occasion. We were a bonded teamship and a family. For me, and I'm sure for other women who will weigh in, while this feminazi congresswoman wannabe, remember, the person saying this is a feminist, may believe she is doing Atari woman kind of favor, in reality, she has done us a disservice by creating victims where there were none. Personally, I am extremely angered by her words and conduct in this matter. Not just for Nolan, but for the woman of Atari, all of us. We all were, and remain to this day, extremely strong and intelligent women. And there isn't any man who would dare take advantage of us, not if they intended to procreate in the future. <laughs> My other anger is the callous and unnecessary hurt I'm sure this matter has inflicted on Nancy and their kids and grandkids. Nancy is Nolan's wife. Finally, by not doing their due diligence before terminating the honor, the GDC did a disservice to Nolan, to my fellow Atarians, and to the truth. Nolan was extremely gracious in this matter via his tweet. Hopefully the GDC will right this misstep. <laughs> Not likely. I think the awards were either today or yesterday. Uh, will right this misstep on their part at some point in the future. Yeah, and there was one other place where she was very emphatic and said, quote, There is zero sexual assault or abuse, and the alleged journalist, I like that, the alleged journalist did <laughs> not do their due diligence. Yep. Atari was very progressive with the way it treated women. They were a, an early adopter of the equal pay for equal work. Uh, men and women get the same pay for the same job. And they were emphatic about that. I mean, they were a pretty progressive company back in the 70s. They just like to have fun. And if you're going to be an industry where you're creating stuff for people to have fun with, then yeah, have fun. But you see, fun is bad. Oh, yeah. Fun is bad. And this is the interesting thing to me. I mean... I just upped a video going after a Calvinist. I just have to say, it amazes me how much Marxists and SJWs have in common with Calvinists. Moral busybodies who hate anything fun and have to speak out against it, especially if it's popular. That whole thing about tulip mania in Holland. You just had what was a fairly minor fad in tulips that led the Calvinists to yawp about all this materialism and how sinful it was 
and they spread lots of propaganda and just outright lies, resulting in this myth of a tulip bubble that never happened, but we still keep hearing about, so this stuff can cause real and lasting harm. I actually did something stupid, and I messaged Brianna Wu on Facebook. I said, perhaps you should have talked to people who used to work at Atari before you tweeted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm going to response for that. <laughs> no, but, I mean, that's her thing, because now it's video games. Before that, I think it was Harry Potter, and then before that, it was RPGs like Dungeons & Dragons. When I was growing up, it was Bugs Bunny cartoons. Oh, God. Don't even get me started on that, because when I was growing up in the 70s, CBS was playing, you know, the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Saw them all, you know, the anvils, pianos, rocks falling on people. Then they moved to ABC... All of the violence was cut out. Yeah, I mean, they were chopping up up all over the place. Yeah, Bugs Bunny would put a bomb together or something. Elmer Fudd would walk off screen and then chop, he would come back. You didn't see the explosion or anything. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing about it is they just don't care anything at all about the people they claim to care about. They just want to grab some unearned fame and attention by riding on the coattails of popular media. And like I said, Lonnie Reeder is a feminist! And she is pissed off at this Brianna Wu whatever. Yeah, um, he's guilty of nothing! But it appears to me that all of the people from Atari in that era that I've seen on Facebook so far all stand with Nolan, men and women alike, liberal and conservative alike, and that speaks more than this Brianna Wu clown could ever say. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. One of the companies that net neutrality advocates really hate is T-Mobile because they do things like help their customers by not having streaming video apply to the data caps. Yeah, some people were crying foul about that because they were saying, oh, that's against net neutrality. People wonder why I'm against net neutrality, but there you are. Net neutrality may be a thing of the past in America, although maybe not, but it's alive and well in Austria via the Telecom Single Market Regulation, which prohibits, quote, discriminatory practice. So, back in November, the Austrian Supreme Court ruled that ISPs must prevent their subscribers from accessing the Pirate Bay, including any clones of the site that pop up, as well as other sites like LeadX.2 and Heat.2. Now, those of you who have been following me on this issue on my YouTube channel, you've heard me point out the incredible hypocrisy of wanting to insist on net neutrality while also wanting to shut down all of these other websites. So, Last week, T-Mobile, in compliance with the law, blocked a lot of Pirate Bay clones, and then they reported themselves to the Austrian Regulatory Authority for Broadcasting and Telecommunications for a breach of net neutrality. 
According to a statement from T-Mobile, quote, It sounds paradoxical, but this should finally bring legal certainty and a long-standing dispute over pirate sites. T-Mobile Austria has filed with regulatory authority RTR a kind of self-report after blocking several sites on the basis of a warning by rights holders. By the way, that's all it is. We talked about this for just a warning by rights holders, not a court order or anything like that. Just a company says you got to take this stuff down. The background to the communication to the RTR through which T-Mobile intends to obtain an assessment by the regulator is a very unsatisfactory legal situation in which operators have no opportunity to behave in conformity with the law. The service provider is forced upon notification by the copyright owner to even judge about possible copyright infringements. At the same time, the provider is violating the principle of net neutrality by setting up a ban. Catch-22! Yep, gotta love those. And of course, this is far from the only way that uh, it's in contradiction with it. You know, IP is in contradiction with all sorts of other laws, not the least of which is freedom of speech, but also we have the inherent hypocrisy of net neutrality advocates who are generally the first to call for blocks of these pirate sites, as well as screaming for restrictions on hate speech and fake news and stuff like that. I mean, what they really mean is they don't want ISPs discriminating against traffic they like while forcing them to discriminate against traffic they don't like. <laughs> kind of reminds me of what's uh, happening in Virginia uh, with the with the, the proposed law uh, out there that, uh, hey, you got to pay the government $20 if you want to access porn. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, especially given the fact that they want these decisions just outsourced to private companies who can just make these demands of the ISPs without any court intervening. This is about censorship and control, not freedom. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the Internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the Internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your Internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to blast a disc off of this week's biggest bogan emitter. We'll see how many people get that pun. And this week it's Panera Bread, who's running to the FDA to get them to define an egg to specifically mean the kind of egg ingredients they use, apparently in order to stop the competition from using the term egg. Hey, look, look what the government says about us. We're the only ones that have real eggs, which actually is not true. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, see, they want the definition to specifically mean extra large, freshly cracked eggs. Organic, non-GMO. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you mix in flavoring or gums or added color or maybe even cheese, because I love mixing in cheese with my mm. scrambled eggs. Oh gosh, you does somehow may means that the egg part isn't really an egg, so they shouldn't be able to say it's an egg. How does that work? You add an ingredient, then the thing stops being. I don't know. According to Panera's director of wellness and food policy, Sarah Burnett, quote. Wow, that sounds Orwellian. <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> Brands can say they offer an egg sandwich, but sell an egg product that contains multiple additives. At Panera, consumers can be assured that when they order eggs, that's exactly what they're getting. But that is what they're getting in the other places, just because all these other places are putting in some completely harmless additives doesn't mean that consumers aren't getting the egg part as well. It's called preservatives. Look it up. <laughs> I don't know what more needs to be said on this other than making Panera Bread this week's biggest Bogani emitter. If you're going to shop online, use our special links to shop at Amazon. Clear your cookies and go to Amazon.Bogosity.tv and you won't pay a penny more for your purchase. If you haven't used the mobile app in the last 12 months, or even at all, go to get5.bogosity.tv on your phone or tablet and get $5 off your order of $10 or more. Go to prime.bogosity.tv for a free 30-day trial of Amazon Prime and enjoy thousands of movies and TV episodes, borrowed Kindle books, and get unlimited two-day shipping for free. And speaking of Kindle, go to kindle.bogosity.tv for a 30-day free trial to Kindle Unlimited, read over one million books, and listen to thousands of audiobooks on any device. You can go to music.bogosity.tv and get a free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited with access to Amazon's entire library of 10 million songs, ad-free and with unlimited skips, and even download to listen offline. All great ways to help this podcast simply by shopping at Amazon. And now let's throw a genetically modified pie in the face of this week's and this week it goes to the government of Uganda, which has just passed an anti-GMO measure called the Biosafety Act 2017, which will not only harm the people by giving them less food to eat, it also threatens scientists and farmers with a 10-year prison sentence and threatens crop breeding programs intended to reduce pesticide use and boost food security. Wow. Yeah. Hey, you're eating genetically modified corn. Because all corn is genetically modified. Mm -hmm. Corn's not a natural plant. They're all cultivars. <gasps> no. But you know, if anything, memes on Facebook taught me, it's that Monsanto scientists go to each plant with a syringe full of goop. Yeah, a big syringe with glowing green stuff in it. Not Gwyneth Paltrow's stuff. Or maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that is Gwyneth Paltrow's goop, knowing the, the crap that she does. But yeah, um... So yeah, that's what Monsanto... Mon oh, oh, I'm sorry. I said Monsanto. <clears throat> Monsatan. That's more accurate. The law says that a, quote, person who carries out genetic engineering shall prevent any contamination or commingling of the genetically engineered organism with any non-genetically engineered organisms. And this is something the anti-GMO nutbars love to bleed on about, but it's pretty much because they're completely ignorant of how plants and genes work, you know. Shocking, I know. But what it would do is prevent genetically modified crops from being used anywhere in the country since it's absolutely impossible 
to prove that there isn't any commingling at all, or indeed any danger of it, yet they would be liable to a fine the equivalent of 1300 U.S. dollars and up to 10 years in prison. 10 years in prison for genetic engineering. Yeah. And according to the law, quote, Every director and office of that body corporate shall be taken to have committed that offense. Yeah, um, you know, people say, oh, something like this couldn't happen in the United States. Uh, you know what? The way this government's going, yeah, it could very well happen. We have a conspiracy sheep in the White House right now. Yeah. So, uh, anything is possible. Oh, and feel free to use the term conspiracy sheep. It's one that I coined myself. Okay. And it's actually an urban dictionary, too, now. Oh, cool. <laughs> so is Killian's Law. Did you know that? Yes, I think I did know that. Senior scientists in Uganda are afraid they'd have to stop their efforts to reduce pesticide use and rural poverty for fear that the legislation leaves most of their staff vulnerable to criminal penalties. This includes field trials that are now underway, which would have resulted in crops ready to release to farmers next year. Hardest hit by this, of course, will be the small subsistence farmers who produce the bulk of Uganda's food. How, how, how could you prove it? Yeah, you I, can. It, it's, it's all going to be, it's one of those hearsay laws. Oh, I heard this person over here. Yeah. I hear he had sex with his wheat, so he's obviously <laughs> genetically engineering his wheat. I mean, how do you prove something like that? It's, yeah. you know, he said, she said. Ugandan President Museveni said, quote, Effluents from the GMO material should never mix with our organic materials. Oh, God. Use of poisons and dangerous bacteria as the inputs in genetic engineering must never be allowed. Uh, Museveni, GMO techniques don't use poisons or dangerous bacteria. Since when did Mike Adams become the president of Uganda? <laughs> Good question. Uh, apparently he's talking about BT which is a biological insecticide used by farmers, including organic farmers. And Ugandan scientists are taking the cry gene from BT and using that to give crops a direct resistance. So you wouldn't have to use the bacteria anymore. Organic, a nothing word for nothing people. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, not really, because you have to be rich to afford organic. Oh, that's true. The president is basically advocating for what's known as the strong precautionary principle, which means that you shouldn't allow something until it's proven safe. The thing is, the strong precautionary principle is so irrational, it even fails a basic consistency check. Since this ban would likely result in greater starvation among the Ugandan people, that means that, under the strong precautionary principle, you can't apply the strong precautionary principle. I find it interesting that all of these countries that are starving, that have these huge problems getting food to people, getting enough food, it's pretty much all the government's doing in the first place. And, uh, yeah, Uganda, you're next in line for this, if you're not there already. Well, and it's not just that. You know, this anti-GMO movement in Uganda's capital, Kampala, is mostly funded from, guess where, Europe. Gee, what a shock. And they've been spreading baseless fears of GMOs causing cancer and eliminating indigenous crops. And also introduced by European activist groups is the concept of strict liability, which has been used elsewhere to completely shut down GMO research because it allows anti-GMO activists to sue GMO scientists and companies just out of the blue. It's not even the he said, she said thing that you're talking about. It's even no standing required. You don't have to have standing. You can just sue. Wow. I mean, that's a total contrast to this country because you really pretty much have to have standing to sue. Uh, and if you do, the courts can still say you don't have standing. Yeah, I mean, we've got really strict. We've gone the opposite way there. 
Yeah. But what's even more ridiculous is that a lot of these same activists are criticizing GMOs as a form of European colonialism. Oh, for the love of Al Gore. <laughs> <laughs> and all of this comes as other African countries such as Tanzania and Ethiopia have been relaxing their restrictions on GMO programs, allowing scientists to attack problems such as Cassava brown streak virus and banana bacterial wilt. Hopefully Ugandans can reverse this terrible legislation, but until then, the Ugandan government just has to be this week's Idiot Extraordinary! wraps up this injected, inspected, detected, infected, neglected, and selected edition of the Bogosity Podcast. Come join the discussion at forum.bogosity.tv and feel free to send a question, statement, news article, or rant in text or audio to podcast at bogosity.tv. This podcast depends on you to keep going, so please donate using the links on the website or the QR codes in the thumbnail, or support Shane DK on Patreon and Maker Support and get the podcast and YouTube videos early and without ads or promos. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Jim Goble for joining me. Thank you very much for having me on and not kicking me off. Until next time, here's a quote from Colin Carter. The original founder of Greenpeace came out in favor of GM crops, and then he got kicked out of that organization because he recognized that, look, this is actually an environmentally friendly technology that reduces the chemical load. The average consumer is unaware of the environmental benefits. You only hear about the possible environmental risks. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Literary Business 4.0 International License. Want answers to creationist claims against evolution? Would you like to know more about evolution yourself, or even engage creationists more directly, with actual peer-reviewed sources to back you up? My book, How Evolution is Scientific, is designed to show the basics of evolutionary theory and how it is so well supported using the scientific method. It's impeccably sourced, with references to the actual scientific material, and is arranged using the creationists' own criteria of what is scientific. Using their own arguments against them, see how evolution is scientific, but creationism is not. Based on observations, accurate predictions, logic, and evidence. Get answers to common creationist claims, and even a primer on abiogenesis, the start of all life. It's all in my book, How Evolution is Scientific, available at Amazon, and on Kindle, EPUB, and PDF as well. Get How Evolution is Scientific, and never be taken in by creationists again. Blastodisc, a blastodisc is an unfertilized egg. Oh, I see what you did there. And I just recently went to Chicago's Museum of Science and Industry, and I should have picked up on that. <laughs> And I remember uh, actually reading something about a guy who went to apply for a job with IBM, and he was dressed exactly like how they wanted their people to be dressed. And uh, the guy interviewing him was like, you're not dressed properly. And he's like, what? And he had everything. And the interviewer was like, lift up your pant legs. And he, the guy did, and he goes, you're not wearing sock garters. Sock garters? Garters for the sock, to hold socks yeah, I know up. what they are, but wait. Yeah, yeah. That was apparently part of the IBM dress code at the time. And he could tell he wasn't wearing them by seeing him. Don't ask sitting. me. <laughs> Check to make sure they don't have a mirror sitting down there, because I think <laughs> some of the ladies would want to know about that. 
Brianna Wu uh, about a year ago was talking about people throwing rocks from the moon. Yeah, we covered that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, when she was called out on her woo, how she um, basically said that, uh, hey, it's because of her gender. Yeah, of course. Of course. The gaming historian yesterday on YouTube released a really fascinating video about Tetris and how it came to the West. Oh, yeah. Definitely watch it. Yeah, the guy who wrote Tetris didn't get a penny for it. Not until later in his life. Yeah, well, I mean, it was like he wrote it because he was in Russia and he wrote it on like a PDP-8 or something like back in 1960. But yeah, right. since it was the Soviet Union, you couldn't own anything. The Russian government owned it and they made all the money. Mm-hmm. It's very fascinating because it's a whole thing about contracts and licensing, and it was a really a huge tangled mess. Or what happened is uh, Alexei Pezhenov created Tetris and through different machinations signed a contract with a guy from Austria whose name I'm blanking on at the moment, and a contract was created where it said that he had rights to the computer license for Tetris and. What was the exact phrase? I can't remember the exact phrase, but like computer, like devices. And so this guy in in, in uh, Austria started selling them to uh, Mirrorsoft and Atari and uh, Spectrum Holobyte and other companies. Well, later on, a guy tried to get the rights for the handheld and get it for Nintendo. And they saw the contract and um, where it said uh, computer-like devices, uh, the guy from Austria thought that that meant, like, game consoles and handheld devices. The Russian government took that to mean only computers. As far as they were concerned, the console and handheld rights were still up in the air. Even though, I mean, those actually are computers, though, oh, because they, they take input, they process it, they display an output. They're computers. That's what a computer is. That's the definition. But the Soviet Union really played capitalism very well in this whole uh, <laughs> in this whole contract thing with uh, with Tetris. Uh, again, watch this episode of the Gaming Historian. The, the video is about an hour long, but I was enthralled with every minute of it. It like went by really fast. So, anyway, the Russians put an amendment to the contract on the guy in Austria, basically stating that computers meant any computer device that has a monitor, keyboard, disk drive, stuff like that. And uh, that basically untangled everything, and that's how Nintendo basically has the rights to Tetris to this day. 